people ask, what is bound? It, doesn't ha- it does not have a D on the end. It is not bound. We are not bound. We are free in Christ. Um, <laughs> it is bound because that's the township we are in. So anyway, it's been that way for a long time. It's an old name. We thought about changing the name because it's confusing, but so far it stands. Um, little church out in the country. Uh, actually reminds me very much of what Riverview used to be. The first time I went there, uh, you go up a half flight of stairs into the sanctuary, and you go down a half flight of stairs into the basement. Anyway, it's very similar to the old church house, um, for those of you that remember that ancient history. Uh, Okay, I think that's all we'll do for introductions. Um, Yeah, this is is where things started for me. Merlin... uh, probably would say he gave me the opportunity to speak here, but more like gave me the assignment because back then I was pretty reluctant and I I tried to find a way out of it. But I'm thankful that Merlin gave me that opportunity and uh, challenged me to to share in this way. And that really probably got things started for me and realizing that, you know what, I think this is what God would have me to do. So it's cool to be back. Cool to share with you guys again. Normally, I preach a little bit like Merlin does through a book, but since you guys aren't going through the book that I'm going through, I don't think, Genesis, I'm uh, starting uh, just from scratch for you guys, and this is something that's kind of been um, a theme in my life lately. I just like every, every passage I read seems to come back to this somehow, and that is the sovereignty of God. Um, a few weeks ago, I was able to attend a conference, and that really was the theme of the conference. And so just kind of since then, it's like everything I see, it relates back to that. Um, what does it mean that God is sovereign? What, is, what does that word mean, sovereign? What is a sovereign ruler? Um, it is one that has absolute authority. He's not impeachable. He's not electable. There's no Congress to override him. Everything in our way of having a government Uh, is completely contrary to a sovereign. Like, we have so many checks and balances, right? We don't have any idea what it would be like to live under a sovereign monarch or something. But God is that. God cannot be impeached. He cannot be overridden. Um, His veto pen or whatever is is the final word. Can't override uh, a veto from God. Um, On one hand, that might sound like, whoa, God can just... He can just do whatever he wants. There's no checks and balances on him. Um, can he just do whatever on a whim? Is this, is this truly a, a loving God if he just does as he pleases? Um, and yes, we should fear God, obviously, but we don't have to fear him um, doing something in cruelty. This is not a cruel God like a cruel dictator we might think of. His unlimited reigning power is joined with unending love and mercy, patience, kindness, and goodness. You see the title um, that I have is, has to do with Romans 8.28. We're going to talk a lot about God being good. The sovereignty of God has been something that was drilled into me from a young age. A lot of you know a little bit of my story, maybe. Uh, my mom passed away when I was six, and uh, my dad remarried uh, two years later. And then um, when I was 20, uh, my brother passed away, tragically. He was 21, and most of you know Brett, knew him, or a lot of you do. Um, 
And it was really, I have a lot of credit to my dad who faithfully taught our family through those situations that even in this thing that we cannot understand and seems in no way good, that God is still good. God is in control. God has never, uh, God, God has never once said, oops. God has never said, oh no, how did that happen? And dad, dad taught us that over and over. And so it's been, it's been something that has been a theme of my life. And so lately, this always happens, right? When is there a time in life when we're not um, hearing news of something bad or tragic or hard to, hard to understand? But it, it occurs to me that God is sovereign even over a senseless, horrible attack where 1,300 people are slaughtered and, and women and children are kidnapped and, and people are just killed for the sport of it. God is sovereign even over that. That means he's ruling, he's reigning, he's in control. That didn't happen and God said, oh no, how'd they get through that wall? No, God is sovereign even over that. I'm hoping this water was intended for me, I'll take my chances. All right. I will say, like, I, when I have my, my home crowd, it, it, it's, it feels safe. I know y'all are my friends and everything, but whew, some nerves going on this morning. Um, something else that probably a lot of you are aware of, uh, just this week, uh, Jonathan Yoder passed away. Uh, some of you knew who he was, a farmer, just fairly local here. Uh, he's a relative of, of Roxanne. Uh, passed away, I think, seven children, um, 44 years old in a, in a farming accident. Once again, did God say, oh no, how did this happen? No, God is sovereign even over something like that. And even closer to home, God is sovereign over, over someone who just said, I can't do this anymore. And they gave up on life. God is sovereign even over that situation. And these are tragedies. These are things that leave us searching for answers and we come up empty-handed. We don't have an answer to explain why something like this would happen. How is this good? Why does evil seem to triumph over good in these situations? And so with scripture, I'm hoping to try to this morning take a look at and, and maybe answer some big questions. And maybe these questions are... Um, pretty self-evident, like what, what is the answer? But I want, to, I want to dig into them. What is the answer and how do they apply to our lives, especially where, where the rubber meets the road? So the first one being, uh, I made my font too small. I can't read it in the back. Okay, is God good? Is God sovereign over good and evil? And who could possibly understand God's ways? And I guess I'll give it away at the beginning. Um, usually I try to have a point of application. If, you're, if we're looking for something to apply to our lives, it would be this. When we understand who God is, his greatness, his power, all that there is about God, we are left with nothing but to submit ourselves to him with a humble heart. Is God good? It's a lot of songs about the goodness of God. Uh, you're a good, good father. Scripture has a lot to say about the goodness of God. And uh, I'm just going to take a few examples. Um, I'm just going to kind of read these off rapid fire. You can turn with me in your, in your Bible. You're welcome to. I have 
cheat sheet in front of me, so I'm not going to flip back and forth, but you're welcome too. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Psalm 34.8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then a little bit longer passage here, Psalm 145, 5 through 9. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your good works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, the fame of God's abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Over and over in scripture, we are told that God is good. There are dozens more verses like this. Um, the last verse here, we said, it's not, he's not just good to some, not just sometimes good. He's always good, and he is good to all. But I think where we, where we get tripped up is when we try to understand God's goodness with our understanding, right? Because we look at an event that happened, like in Israel, and we say, I cannot reconcile something that evil as good. How is that good? I do not understand. And so when we try to, try to put our understanding of good with God's wisdom and understanding of good, it, the two don't mesh. We can't quite, some, we can't quite make that add up. Um, yeah, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Romans 8.28, very familiar verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love God, how many things work together for good? Is it some things or most things or all things? And what exactly falls into that category? Is there anything that falls outside the category of all things? No, there's not. So that means everything from our definition of good to our definition of bad, all those things fall under that category. All things will be worked together by God for our good. And again, it's always easy for us to understand this, like when things are pleasant. And so, um, oops, I didn't want to go on to that one yet. When we have uh, a bountiful year, a, a good harvest, a, a garden goes great. Hey, that's cool. That works great for me. But what about when a tornado hits? Is that good? When there's a healthy birth, mom and baby are both good. That's good, right? But what about when it's not the case? What about when there's a barren womb? Is that good? When there's a happy, newly married couple, that's good. We celebrate that. What about when there's a grieving widow? Is that good? How do we, how do we reconcile that? It's so easy to see with our earthly eyes when, when things are pleasant, that this is good. Hey, God's working this for good, but it is so hard to see when it's the other way around. John MacArthur says this about Romans 8.28, in his providence, 
God orchestrates every event in life, even suffering, temptation, and sin to accomplish both our temporal, immediate, and our eternal benefit. In the moment, it doesn't seem good, but, but we know that God is going to work that for good. Now, it's one thing to say, too, you know, I think it's easy for us to say, well, suffering, suffering God is working for our good. When we're going through a hard time, it's just like, like lifting weights, like preparing for a marathon. That's, we go through some suffering, but we're, but we're getting somewhere. We're working towards something. And there's a lot of scripture that talks about the trials and the suffering that we go through. First Peter 1, 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, I put the reference from Romans up there. It's very similar. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that it produces endurance, which leads to character, and that produces hope. We know that suffering works for our good, but what about, we'll get to this in, in just a minute, but what about evil? What about sin? How does sin, how does God work our sin for good? How is that even possible? We're going to dig into that in just a minute more. But we understand how God can use our suffering. And scriptures, we know the verses about that, right? But are we convinced, truly convinced, that God is good? Um, it's kind of an old movie now at this point, but uh, God's Not Dead. How many of you remember God's Not Dead? Okay. And there's these two pastors that go back and forth. They're the African missionary guy and, and the, sort of the main character. And what do they say all throughout the movie? God is good. All the time. Okay, right. So I, we see that. We know that. Are we convinced of that? Are we truly convinced of that? And I don't know how many of you know, again, I, I mentioned Jonathan Yoder passing away. Um, his wife, I'm, I was just so blessed by this. Um, she posted briefly that, yes, my husband, the father of our children, is gone. And then she said this, of course we're absolutely heartbroken. And of course, God is still good. Could you say that? Could you say that in that situation? Are you convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is good? Looking at the next big question. Is God sovereign, sorry, there we go, missed that one. Okay, is God sovereign over good and evil? And again, we've alluded to this, God, God can work through suffering, right? He can strengthen us and grow us through suffering. But there's, there's a distinction I wanna make here, and I, this one is hard for me, this one, <laughs> God's been teaching me a lot on this, I think, and by reading the story of Job, we often say that God, um, from that we sort of see that or understand that God allowed this evil to come against Job. God sort of removed the protection that was over Job and, and allowed the enemy to come at him. So we often say that God allows evil to happen, but I would, ha I would and I still hesitate to say this, but I would challenge us to think that God is sovereign, and so he causes everything to happen, which would lead us to say that God may even cause something evil, that uh, we say evil, to happen. 
is that true? I want to look at Genesis 45. This is the story of Joseph. Um, Yeah, there we go. All very familiar to us. Joseph was kidnapped, uh, not kidnapped, but kind of kidnapped by his brothers and then sold into slavery. Um, And miraculously, God brings him up and puts him in second, uh, second command to Pharaoh. And so Joseph's brothers come and they're looking for food. There's this famine and God has given Joseph uh, uh, the insight to understand the dream and, and prepare ahead of time. So now Joseph meets with his brothers. He tests them, and he's now revealing himself to them for the first time. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please, And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be dismayed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me to preserve life, before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep you alive and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. What did Joseph say there? I think Joseph understood something about God. He understood that while his brothers sinned, his brothers did something truly evil. They threw him in a hole in the ground. They were gonna kill him. They thought about leaving him for dead, but instead they sold him into slavery thinking that would finish the job and the blood wouldn't be on their hands. His brothers did something truly evil and you can't take away their responsibility They are still held accountable for that thing that they did. And yet Joseph understood that though they did evil, it was God behind it all along. He said, God sent me ahead of you. I think language matters when we say, God, did God allow for this to happen or did God cause this to happen? The problem with saying that God allowed a certain thing is that God maybe preferred something else, but it didn't go that way. And so he had to resort to plan B or C or D. And God doesn't have plan B or C or D. Scripture's pretty clear on that. When God says what he will do, he will do it. Um, Psalm, Psalm 115.2 says, God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God doesn't have a backup plan. And so when Joseph's brothers decided to throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery, God didn't say, oh boy, now how am I going to preserve my people through, through Egypt? And how, what, God knew all along. God had planned that out from the beginning of the world exactly what would happen. I want to take a look at this uh, passage, a little bit longer passage in Isaiah. Um, what do we learn about God and his character in in how he is sovereign over everything. He's not sovereign over some things. He is sovereign over everything. It's Isaiah 40. I'm not gonna read, obviously, the whole passage, um, but we'll, we'll take a look at some of these verses. Picking up in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth 
in measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult and whom and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. And then I'm going to jump from there over to verse uh, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. The tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings forth their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. What do we learn about God in that? He is sovereign over creation. He measures his vast creation in his hand. He weighed the mountains and hills on a scale. No one can understand him. No one can measure him. Verse 13 says, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And then what person has given counsel to God? Does he have an advisory board? Does he have a panel of advisors that he consults with? He's never asked for advice. No one's ever taught him justice, knowledge, or wisdom. He reigns supreme over all nations and men, and we are like grasshoppers to him. To him, we are like ants are to us. He brings world rulers to nothing. It says he brings princes to nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, their stem is taken root. He blows on them and they wither. That's how, that's how lasting the kingdoms of the earth are, according to God. And then verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He's sovereign over the universe. Um, I don't know if you remember the creation account. The stars are like the biggest thing in the universe. There's more of them than we can possibly ever count. And, and how much does it give us in Genesis when he created the stars? Anybody remember that? He made the stars also. We get three words on the stars. He made them also. But it says here, he knows them by name, by the greatness of his power. Not one of them is missing. So does God allow certain things to happen and then he has to work around man's free will when it gets in the way of his plan? Or does God cause everything to happen and he directs us like the little grasshoppers that we are? In the case of Joseph, God sent him to Egypt by the sin of his brothers. God directly caused that to happen. And if you, this isn't the only case, I don't believe, where, where there's clear evidence of that. Um, God says in other parts of, of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, talking about Pharaoh. What happened with Pharaoh? God raised him up. God hardened his heart. God caused Pharaoh to do evil so that he could show his power in freeing his people. 
And I think obviously the most plain example of this is what happened to Jesus Christ. Jesus was tortured and killed, crucified the most horrible death by the sin of man. It was evil that men did. And those men, all men, are accountable for that. God caused that to happen. That didn't just happen and then God said, okay, I can work with this. No, God caused that to happen. And we know that because it was prophesied every part of Jesus' death from the flogging and the beating and the mocking, dividing his clothes, everything was prophesied. And so God caused evil men to do evil things so that his purposes would be fulfilled. What is the point? Why does that, why does that matter? Though it makes no sense to us, I believe that scripture shows God causes everything to happen exactly as it does. And if it happened any other way, would God be God? If things were just happening and he was having to adjust his plans, would he truly be God? What, where would his power be? That's like us. Stuff happens that we can't control and we have to adjust our plans. But God does not do that. God is truly sovereign even over the events that we cannot understand. Not sure what I had next for you guys. Okay. When we encounter something that seems sad, evil, senseless, If God is truly sovereign over good and evil, then we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that even this falls under the category of all things, right? God works all things together for good. And so if we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is sovereign, then we know that no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is, it falls under that category of all things, that God is working for the good of you because you love him. It will be for your good, and it will be for his glory. And we've definitely kind of covered this in some some ways already, but can we understand the ways of God? And obviously, the, the quick answer is no, we can't. Scripture says this over and over. God's ways are high, and we cannot understand them. I just read these verses again, but just refresh us. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him? Who taught God justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, sorry, your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then in Romans eleven thirty three, oh O the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how, in, how inscrutable his ways. Martin Luther says this about that verse. God is incomprehensible throughout, and therefore his justice as well as his other attributes, must be incomprehensible. It is on this very ground that Paul exclaims, oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, his ways past finding out. His judgment would not be past finding out if we could always perceive them. 
to be just. If we could understand God, would he be God? Oftentimes we struggle to understand something about the nature of God because we're trying to fit it into the box of our own human understanding. I cannot understand how God works sovereignly over good and evil and with the free will of man because we do have, we're still accountable for our own decisions. We have free will. I can't understand how he's sovereign over that and yet still holds us accountable for, for the, work of, the work that we do, whether it be good or evil. I can't reckon those two together. But that's the way it is. Scripture teaches it. It's very plain that God is sovereign and that we have free will. I don't understand it, but I have to accept it. And again, like Martin Luther said, if we could understand his ways, what kind of God would he be? I have a John MacArthur study Bible, so guilty. I I quote him sometimes. Uh, This will be the second, second quote by him, but it's a good one. Because human understanding is so limited, even sincere questions about God's sovereign election ultimately must go unanswered. It is one of the many truths about God that we must accept by faith simply because he has revealed it in his word. So let's not get hung up on the fact that sometimes we can't understand. We are simply asked to trust him and obey. And at at, uh, my home church, we're going through Genesis. And so we kind of got through uh, the foundation of everything, right? Chapters 1 through 11. And we just started getting into Abraham. And what is Abraham commended for? Is he commended for his deep understanding of the ways of God? No, he's commended for one thing, because he obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He was, Abraham, by all indication, was not someone who had a knowledge of God previous to God calling him. Abraham was raised in a land of idol worshipers. He grew up around pagans, and God spoke to him, and God called him, and Abraham obeyed without any understanding. And that is sometimes what we are called to do. We have a limited amount of understanding, and we're called to simply obey. Kind of forget where I'm at here. Sorry. Okay. To kind of try and wrap this up, answer the three questions very quickly. Is God good? Scripture says he is good. Is God sovereign over good and over evil? I think scripture is clear. Yes, he is. And is there any possible way we will ever understand who he is, how he works, what he is doing. No, no one can understand. And so it leaves me with some I don't knows. I don't know why God chooses to do the things that he does. I don't know why he causes things to happen the way that he does. One of my favorite quotes is J. J. Vernon McGee. He says this, let me remind you that this is God's universe and he is doing things his way. You may think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. There's a lot of I don't knows that we're left with when we consider who God is. We, don't, we can't fully understand God. And, and the beautiful thing about this is Christianity is simple enough for a child to understand, right? A child can understand salvation. A child can understand prayer even, at least a basic concept of it. A child can basi- understand the basic concept of God's love. And yet there is a vastness to this 
that we, no matter how much we study, no matter how many, no matter how many doctorates or degrees you get, you're not going to understand all there is to know about our God. So we have some I don't knows, but we do have some things that we can know for a fact. And again, going back to this, I know that God is good. I know that God is good. I alluded to the, the movie, um, God's Not Dead. I had just watched that movie like a few, few days, maybe a week before my brother passed away. And I, I cannot explain this, but when I got a phone call saying my brother didn't survive his, his trip, um, passed away, those were the words that came to my mind. It was, it was the Lord's doing, but I know. I know that I know that I know God is good. And I don't understand, and that, that is something that I have resigned myself to not understand. I, I don't understand why that happened, and I, I, I don't think I will in this life. But I'm okay with that because I know that God is good, and I know that he is going to work it somehow, some way for my good here and eternally. And that's the next thing that I know, that God is good and all things work together for good. The next thing that I know is that no matter what we're going through, no matter how miserable and difficult and sad and incomprehensible the situation, God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. And there's a hundred other promises similar to that in the, in the Bible. God, has never, God will never leave us or forsake us. And God has promised that to us. Um, That's Hebrews 13.5, by the way. And then also in Hebrews, it says that God cannot lie. Think about that. We always say nothing's impossible for God, right? It is impossible for God to lie. So when God has promised us something, we can take that to the bank. He's promised he will never leave us or forsake us. Okay, so um, maybe something has happened recently to you, to us, that's left you wondering why God would do this thing. How could this work? for your good, you don't understand. But he will work it for our good and for his glory. And we'll never, there are things, again, there are things in this life that we will never be able to figure it out. We just won't. And that is where we're simply asked to trust and obey and submit ourselves to his sovereign control. And and maybe you're not in that situation. Maybe the grass is pretty green and the skies are pretty blue for you right now. but I think that we need to arm ourselves with this knowledge of God because the trials do come and evil does strike and and rear its ugly head. And and we say, what in the world? How is this happening? God, how how are you making this? how, How does this fit in your plan? How is that possible? But when we see God for who he is, the awesome sovereign ruler over our lives and over the universe, we are left again with no choice but to humbly submit our lives to him. His sovereign purpose will always be accomplished and it is always for our good. Uh, Let's close with prayer and then Joe. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Time and time again, I come back to this truth of who you are and I'm comforted by it because when I cannot understand something, I can simply say it's okay. I know that you are in control, that you have planned this from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world. You have planned out what would, what would take place and how it would happen. 
So God, I praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is, who is hurting. Something has happened recently that has uh, shaken them, that has rocked them. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to them and show them through the truth of your word that even in this difficult thing, whatever it may be, that you are sovereignly in control, that you are holding all things in your powerful hand, and that most of all, you are good, and you will, by your power, work this situation for their good and for your glory. God, I thank you for who you are. I praise you. We worship you. Would you take the truth of your word, plant it deep within our hearts, and uh, go with us as we leave this place, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.